0: Lord. We thank you, Jesus. You are, you are worthy of our praise, Lord God. Father, we come to you, Lord, as broken vessels, Lord God. We come to you, Lord God, as folks that don't know our left from our right, our up from our down, Father God. Use us, Lord God, in your mighty plan, Father God. Let us not get in our own way, Father God. When it's time for us to make a decision, Father God, slap our hands out the way, Lord God. Lord, even though it's not ours, Lord God, you've given us the the gift of choice, Lord God, but we want to give it right back to you, Father God. We choose you and you alone, Father God, for you own my life, Lord God. You own my will, Father as Pastor James comes up, the priest, Lord, I pray for him, Lord God. I pray for his family, Lord God. I pray for each one of them, Lord God. It's hard to get up here, Lord God, on Sunday and do this, Father God. But be with him, Lord God. Hold up his left and his right side, Lord God. Be with his mind, Lord God. Be with his spirit, Lord God. And be with the people that receive the words that are coming out of his mouth, Lord God. We praise you for him, Lord God. We praise you for everybody that's walked in the building, Lord God. With everybody, Father God, and we will learn and be moved closer to you, Lord, today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Uh, let's pray. Father, sometimes it's so easy to forget how good you are. Sometimes you feel when we are in our worst, you feel like a cop that is watching my every failure. And we forget that you're a father who has knitted me in the womb and longed for us to be close. And Father, let us be a people that experience the goodness of our God. And we proclaim you not out of duty, but out of delight we experience you daily. Let us sit in these moments, God, and just enjoy you. Just to enjoy the presence of God. Some of us are working so hard to be approved. Some of us feel so inadequate in the eyes of men. And in Christ Jesus, we have been made adequate. Some of us long for the fresh touch of a man or a woman. God, we truly need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. We need your presence, God. We need your presence, God. We need more than an explanation of you, God. We need to encounter you today, God. We need to encounter the living God, the living God. And so right now, God, we posture our hearts to encounter the living God. We posture our minds for the revelation of the living God. And God, if it is you, if you move on us, let us move with you. If you say change, let us change. If you say go, let us go. But don't just speak. Prepare the listener. Make the heart sensitive. And so that in this moment, in this very moment, we will be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good to see everybody. Good to be back here. Uh, We got a week off of church. Praise God. We giving weeks off. Praise the Lord. Yeah, I was down in Alabama. Yeah, it was no snow down there, buddy. Troy, Alabama. It was totally different. I'll tell you about that another day. I'm sure I got some analogies. And stories that are going to come out of that, praise God. Listen, um, we have several things happening here that I really want you guys to be sure that you come and be a part of. There are three announcements that I'm going to make in order. And there's a very good chance you're going to forget them. So I'm going to come back up after and remind you, all right? The first thing we want to tell you about is Tuesday night we have prayer. Tuesday night prayer. And, you know, it's so refreshing to be able to come into a space where you can just talk to God with your friends and family or whoever it is. And, and we're also going to have some worship here. But we just want to create an atmosphere where we just talk to God and feel free. Amen? All right, so that's Tuesday night right here. It's going to be at 7 p.m., 7 p.m. So we pray that you come out. And we pray, too, that you might invite a friend, that you, you know, there might be people who would never come to church. But, you know, I've found that everybody likes to pray or at least be prayed for. So I I pray you get a chance to invite someone out to that. We also have authentic manhood, all right? And so, uh, you know, I love that play on words because really um, every man, I think, longs to be real. You know, I think that's been one of the things that... you know, uh, that I've been able to grow in friendship with people when they say that, you know, you're real, you know, you're, you're someone I can trust, you're someone I, that really cares for me. And so what we do in there in that venue is we actually have a video series that we go through, and we just get to talk about what does it mean to be a man. You know, many of you didn't have your father tell you what that meant. You've had commercials tell you what it means, or videos tell you what it means, or some rapper told you what it meant to be a man. And really, why don't we let the scriptures inform us on what it means to be a man, so we're going to come together, and that's going to be this Saturday at 12 p.m. Um, the address will be up there. Now, if you have not liked us on Facebook, not that I'm thirsty for likes right now, but if you have not liked us on Facebook, you will miss out on some of our announcements. So if you, if you don't have a Facebook, get a Facebook. And then once you do that, like our page, because that way you will stay informed with everything we have going on, okay? Okay. Uh, lastly, Super Bowl. So the Super Bowl is next week. And um, so what we want to do is we're actually going to do a Super Bowl party here right after church. We're going to show it up on the screens right here. And so we normally end service around 5, 30, 6, 6, 15 if the spirit is moving. You know what I'm saying? And so <laughs> we will show the game. I don't think the game starts till what, like 8 or whatever, 7, 6, 3, Five, four, it starts, it's going to start, but I mean, the the game, what time does the game start? Game. So the game's going to be on. (laughs) I mean, it might start at six, I doubt it, but we're going to eat, so there's going to be food there and fellowship, and I would say again, invite a friend who would probably watch the game alone and just tell them to come to church, you know, and, and hang out with us and see that we're real people and they don't have to feel, get all dressed up and feel religious. You know, it's so important that we always create an atmosphere where people feel invited. It's so easy to slip into the idea that I'm no longer invited with the people of God. Somehow it begins to feel like God's, God somehow closes his invitation, that he doesn't have an open invitation for sinners. And I'm not just talking about people out there. I'm talking about us, too. Sometimes we feel like God does not still invite me into relationship. And we kind of create categories of in people and out people. There was a couple, Robert and Carol. Robert and Carol were Trinidadian. Any any Trinities in the house, in the building? (laughs) Okay, the one, praise God. (laughs) Uh, they, They were from Trinidad. And um, Carol ended up moving out to the Bronx, and she, <clears throat> she worked in payroll and accounting. And, but she wanted to get her education so she could get a better job. So she ended up um, going to Monroe College. And uh, she moved out to the Bronx and, you know, tried to get some money. And then after a while, Carol invited her husband to move from Trinity to the Bronx with her. And so Robert and Carol grew up there, or they basically moved there, and their daughter came with them. And like any couple, they had issues. Robert uh, was addicted to alcohol. He had a violent temper, and he was addicted to drugs. In a fit of rage one time in 1987, Robert burnt down their house because he was so upset at his wife. Carol, like anybody who's trying to work a job and go to school, wasn't really able to give attention to the kids. And so really the house was never managed like she wanted it to be. Well, they had a daughter get raised up in that home. The daughter had some talent, and she ended up going to LaGuardia High School. <laughs> and uh, when she went to LaGuardia, they, they noticed that she had a lot of skills, Well, while in LaGuardia, she noticed that she could act. And so she tried an acting career. She ended up being being in an off-Broadway play, but she never really blew up. And like anybody, she tried to get some jobs. She tried odd jobs. She worked at Red Lobster. She worked at about 13 other jobs, she would say. And in all those jobs, she would always get fired because they always said she had a bad attitude and not good customer service. Well, her acting career didn't work, Red Lobster and other jobs didn't work, so she decided to go and try a music career. So in 2007, she uploaded a bunch of songs to MySpace. (laughs) And, And a producer actually in Brooklyn heard her songs, and he was so impressed by her. But there was only one problem, her name. See, the word onyakachi, the word means who is greater than God. It comes from West Africa, so there might be people who you see who have that first name or last name. It's androgynous, so it can, be a, it can be for a guy or a girl. And it comes from the Igbo tribe, and so it has this very powerful name to it. Well, if you were to take that word down, you could just call someone Onika. And so Robert and Carol named their daughter Onika. And in naming her Onika, I'm sure that when she looked in the mirror, she was supposed to look at someone who was strong and confident and look at herself and say, who is greater than God? There are no obstacles for me that I can't overcome with the Lord on my side. But once this producer got wind of her, they said, you can't go by that name Onika. We got to flip it. And so no longer would she be known as Onika Mirage. They say you got to flip it and be known by Nicki Minaj. And so Nicki Minaj grew up in a household where there was all types of things happening. And when it's crazy, when you think about her name, her name meant who is greater than God. But when you think about Nicki Minaj, the last thing you think about is who is greater than God. In fact, the last thing you think about is the Lord altogether. You probably think sin. In fact, if we were to put, a definition of sin-er up there. We would probably say Nicki Minaj. But I wonder when God looks at Nicki, I wonder if he still calls her Onika. I wonder when he looks at her, he still sees the design that he had for her. And one of the scariest things about church is that we begin to create an environment for the Onikas, the people that have their life going in the right direction, and the Nikki's have to stay out. And so you create an in and out culture. And we want to create an environment where we always have an open invitation to sinners. We talked about how we had squad goals. One of our goals and one of the things that it's easy to slip into is believing that there's a level of sin that God can't stand. That there's a boundary he has to relationship and if you cross it he doesn't want you anymore. Do you remember the game Simon Says? Simon says, touch your nose. Oh, this is cute. (laughs) You don't have to do it. Simon says, touch your head. Simon says, touch your chin. And then if you miss it, what happens? You're out. And then everybody that can follow the rules stays in. You know, we can play a game in church called Jesus Says. And then everybody that is able to do what Jesus says, Jesus says, read your Bible. Jesus says, come to church. Jesus says, share your faith. But if you don't do what Jesus says, you're out. And it's so crazy. Because some of the initial images of God in the Bible is someone sitting and God going after them saying, where are you? I want to be with you. No, 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 don't run away. I still want you. And what's crazy is that the church can create an in and out culture where you start to sin and you figure they're righteous and I'm unrighteous. They're in, I'm out. And so the church as a goal we always have to posture ourselves as a people inviting people into relationship with God. Always inviting people. You know, the saddest thing that gets created when that happens is that you pretty much lose the passion and the joy of relationship. Because you're performing and pretending. Because if you start thinking that you are accepted by God because of your righteousness, you've got to keep it up. And you can't be honest with yourself, and you can't be honest with people. you got to walk around and say you're blessed 24-7. And you can't admit who you really are. How many of us really want to admit who you really are? And we create a context of honesty. And the crazy thing is, is that the picture and the imagery that we see in the scriptures is Relationship. That Jesus comes to be able to put on display this new type of relationship, connection. So that's why we see in the scriptures, Jesus, when he communicates, he calls him father. And he uses this intimate term, Abba, daddy, I want to be close with my father. We hear, see images of vine and a branch and that you got to stay connected to the branch in order to bear fruit with the vine. Sheep and shepherd. And so the sheep, what? They hear his voice. And so throughout the scriptures, all you keep seeing is relationship. I want to relate to you. I want to stay connected to you. And the saddest thing in all that is the people who think they're in end up proud, and the people who think they're out end up depressed, not realizing that all of their works are filthy rags before God. Well, today, I want us to be able to nail down this idea of keeping an open invitation, one, as a sin of yourself, and two, for people out there. And we have to make sure that we always work to create that kind of culture because it's so easy to slip out of it. It's so easy to become a church where you start, you know, you get on, you know, you're on the connect team or you're on the worship team. And you start thinking, I'm accepted by God because of the activity I do. And your sinfulness is what brought your butt in here in the first place. You were tired. Aren't you tired? So some of us are so tired. So tired. Just tired. And, and then you start doing the right things. And then you start getting that you're, the right things you're doing as an identity. Christ has died for your sin. So sometimes it's good to just look in the scriptures and see people that, the kind of people that Jesus accepted and invited And what we'll see is Jesus, Jesus is always inviting us into relationship, always. Matthew chapter 9. Would you go there with me? If you have your Bible. If you don't have your Bible, you can look up on the screen. Matthew chapter 9. It reads this way. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and said to him, follow me. What did Matthew do? He rose and followed him. You know, when you read this, that really wasn't deep. Jesus said something and he did it. But you have to understand one thing about this text. Jesus had already been healing people. He had already created this This image to people that he was this righteous teacher. Jesus was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 4. And so he's healing and he's teaching and people give him this honor as the holy one. But then he talks to a tax collector. One thing you have to understand, a tax collector was the undisputed scum of the earth. He was the one person the one type of person that when you thought of sin and you thought of a definition of a sinner, you'd think of a tax collector. It was, people ostracized tax collectors. They were hated in the Jewish community. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, if you want to treat somebody bad, treat them like you would a tax collector. Well, a tax collector was a bad boy. You see, what tax collectors did was they they would take the fees of the people. They would take the taxes. But what's crazy is they would put their own percentage on it. Now, you think about that just for a second. They would put their own fee schedule and create an amount that suited their needs. But there were ethnic issues, too. You see, his name is Matthew, the tax collector. But if you look in the book of Luke, his name is Levi. Levi. And if you were to tie back his name, his name would tie back to the Levitical priesthood. Basically, he comes from a family of preachers. He comes from a crew of people, Jewish people, that were always interceding and praying for people. But now Matthew is collecting taxes from people. And what made it worse, it must have been really bad when you were giving your money over to Matthew, is that the Romans had oppressed that entire region through tyranny and through their army, and the money went to fund their army. And they, they would, I mean, when, they, when I say oppress people, it was more like ISIS, where they would move into a city and kill people. They killed people so bad that when they went into a city and killed them, they would put people up on stakes so that other people around the region would be intimidated. Now, not just any people, I mean kids. Boys and girls. And so the Roman authority would spread through murder and tyranny. And the only way they would fund their army is through taxes. And so here, this tax collector is sitting there in his booth collecting taxes, everyone hates him, everyone talks about him. They walk up to the tax booth, let me do this again today, and they look at him and they think about him and they say to him, look at you, Matthew, look at you, you know, I know your real name, I know, I know where you come from, your real name is Levi, I know your people, I know what you, you should be collecting, the prayers of the people, but you're really collecting taxes from the people. He was hated, people despised him. Most likely, the disciples that were with Jesus knew Matthew. So peep the scene. Jesus is passing by. He sees Matthew. The disciples probably stop. And they think, oh, snap. Jesus is about to talk to Matthew. He's going to tell him off. He's about to tell him off. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. What is he going to say? What is he going to say? What does Jesus say to Matthew? What is he going to say? Is he going to intimidate him? Is he going to say, I know what you've been doing? What Jesus says to him is, follow me. Now, the crazy thing about that, crazy thing about that moment is that The disciples knew precisely what they meant because he had used that rhetoric before. And when he says, follow me, he is putting him, the one that's out, he's putting him on equal ground with them. And he got up and he followed. And I'm sure the disciples were like, oh, snap. A, he didn't tell him off. B, he's next to us. I'm sure the disciples were a little embarrassed as they started walking. I'm sure the disciples have been talking about him for years. Matthew was the person in your office that everybody talks about. Matthew is the person that you have those ethnic tensions with. Matthew is the person that gets at your very core of hatred. Matthew is the person you, when you think about them, you think about what they did to you. Matthew is that person. And Jesus walked up to them and said, I still want you to follow. My invitation is still open. And so the disciples are like, whoa. I was cool with the teaching. I was cool with the miracles. What is this? It's a story over. That's it. He follows It gets crazier because Matthew now not just follows him, but he follows Matthew. Because he goes to his house. Look here. Look here in Matthew 9 and 10. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors... And sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus goes to the house of Matthew and then to make matters worse, he tells him essentially, we don't see it in the text, but he tells him, invite your friends. Oh, the righteous ones? No, all the tax collectors. Get all your tax collector friends. Invite them too. And it says tax collectors and sinners. So get all your friends, all the people that are doing wrong, get them. Mm -hmm, Bring them too. And so the Pharisees hear about this. And they come over to the house. They're like, what's going on up in here? And they walk in. And they're blind. They can't believe this man is eating with tax collectors and sinners. And they're blown away that someone was so holy. And so you know what? They ask the question right there. They say, why? Why is he doing this? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And you know what he's really asking? Why is he eating with them and not us? Why does he like to be with them? Why is he going to their house? He should be in the temple reading with me me and the boys. We're the ones that memorize all the scriptures. We're the ones that are in. Why is he going after people that are out? Why? You know how hard I've been working to memorize the scriptures? That's what the Pharisees did. They memorized the first 5 books of the Bible. I'm struggling with two verses. They got books. <laughs> Praise God. Why so to feel that tension? Why are you with them? They don't go to church. They don't love you like I do. Why? Why is he eating? And and then, why is he eating with them? Spending intimate time with them. What is, who is he? You know, I love, you know, I love Jesus because he doesn't make himself a mystery. He tells them exactly what he is about. Verse 12. He says, but when he heard it, Jesus was very aware of what the Pharisees were saying. He says, when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Then he says in verse 13, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I came... For sinners. Just peep this. They're all eating at the table. And I'm sure they weren't addressing Jesus while they were talking. They're like, why is he with them? He's like, I came for sinners. No, you know, break all that up. I didn't come for the righteous, the people that have it all together. I came for sinners. That's why I'm here. And that's what I do. And then he even gave him an analogy. He says, listen, people who aren't sick don't need a doctor. (laughs) Um telling you guys this before. Um, I've gotten vertigo before. Anybody know what vertigo is? It's a trip. It's a trip. So vertigo is when you lose your balance. And I became imbalanced. I was not able to keep my my eyes tracking. I couldn't focus. And so I ended up um, one night, I caught a case of vertigo while I was sitting down. And once I sat down, I tried to get up, and I couldn't get my balance, and I fell to the ground. And I was so out of whack that I began to, I began to crawl, and I crawled to the bedroom of my wife. And I told my wife, I said, baby, I can't see, and I can't walk. And so she pulled me up on the bed, and I laid there for a while. And she was like, babe, are you going to be okay? I was like, no, I'm not okay. I can't, I can't see. I can't walk. And she was like, you know what you need. I was like, what do I need? She's like, you need to see a doctor. I was like, no, just give me some Tylenol. Just give me some Tylenol. And she was like, no, you need help. I was like, no, just, get, just give me some Tylenol and some water. She said, you just said you can't walk and you can't see. <laughs> but, but it's so funny how the physical matches the spiritual. Somehow I thought I could heal myself. And what sense would it make for me to go to a doctor telling him I'm fine? You know, the reality is that when you come to the case, when you come to the conclusion that you can't manage your sickness on your own, that's when you go see a doctor. When, and and it's the same thing with Jesus. When you've come to the conclusion that your standard of righteousness, you're not even keeping your own standard, like, because, but you tell people things that you don't even do. I amen myself on that. No, I mean, like, you give advice that you don't do. And, I mean, you come, you come hard with it. So what you got to, and then, mm-hmm, and you go home like, but I'm a mess. <laughs> and that's all sin is. And he says, those who are well don't need me. But those who are sick do because I'm a doctor. That's what I do. And so he clarified for, for the Pharisees his ministry. So amazing how we forget that that's his ministry, that he is a doctor amongst the sick. You see, part of our problem is we like to be religious. We love religion. We love rules. Because if I can create a set of rules, I'm most likely a rule by my standard, I can keep it. So religion basically says, change and you can join us. Ah, but Jesus says, if you join us, you'll change. So you have, to, you have to understand the intensity of that. When Matthew got up, he didn't change. Matthew had done nothing. All he did was commit to following. He said, I accept your invitation." I accept your relationship. I want you. But Matthew was still that same guy. He hadn't changed yet. And there's something about being in the presence of Jesus on a consistent basis that transforms you. You can you can you can modify your behavior and still not follow Jesus. And that's why, that's why many of you, many when we first started the church, many of us came from churches that were what we call legalistic. Where the church had created a certain standard where you dress a certain way, you talk a certain way, and you come to church a certain amount, and now you're righteous. And so people kept that standard, and when you got to know them, you're like, ooh, you are proud, mean, and nasty, and I don't like you. And that's why some of us stopped going to church. And you said, "You said I love God, but I hate the church because it had become religious. But that's not just a problem out there, it can become a problem in here. It can become a problem in here. It's so easy for us to slip into it. Creating these false standards that God did not create. And so our goal is to make this invitation to people and it it first starts by you accepting that invitation. By you admitting to yourself, I need God on a daily basis, just like a doctor, just like the sick need a doctor, I need Jesus. And when I fail, it's just the indication that I need him more. When we fail, we tend to think it is the indication that he doesn't want me anymore. But our sin is actually the indication that we need him more. And that we should run to him. That's why the Bible says, "The right, listen, the, the, that, that, that the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to him, not away. And so we must first accept that invitation ourselves. And then as we accept the invitation, the open invitation of Jesus, we will naturally invite others in. Because we know how good he is. We know how merciful he is. We know how kind he is. We know how accepting he still is. And the goodness of God, it breaks that legalistic heart. And so there are um, there are several things that I pray that you see from this text. And, and several things that I pray that we as a church can, can live out. Um, the first is... Being a sinner, um, and I might have said this already, but go to the next slide. Being a sinner doesn't disqualify you. It's a prerequisite. I want to nail this home and just make this so, so clear. Somehow, you know, prayer requests are a funny thing. (laughs) Like prayer is when we talk to the almighty creator of heaven and earth And we believe as a church that if you get other people praying for you, it begins to shake the heavens. It begins to make an awareness. Not that God doesn't know, but there's this sense that God is pleased when his people are praying corporately. So we believe that prayer has power, right? I mean, I think we do. So it's so funny. Our prayer requests are some of the funniest things in the world. Like, we will have our real life, and we will have, like, deep struggles then people will say, how can I pray for you? And you're like, I don't even know. Let me start. You me think. Um, my grandma, my grandma sick, yo. Help her. Or we'll just thank God for the weather. And part of it is we're uncomfortable creating a context where we talk about the real sin that we're dealing with on a daily basis. And it's hard. I know, I know it takes trust, and I understand all that. But, but somehow we think... That if we sin, there is a sin that will disqualify us. When sinning was your prerequisite to relationship. And it's so weird when a church comes together and Christ has died for our sin. 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 Like he died for sin. It's so weird when a church comes together and doesn't talk about sin. It's just kind of awkward. It's kind of like... Like, there's a doctor, and you have all these patients in the waiting room, but no one actually goes see the doctor. Like, they're all just sitting there, like, calling, like, uh, I'm good, I'm good. Anybody need to go see the doctor? No, I'm good. You look sick. I'm good. And sometimes we look sick, but we say, I'm good. And it's so easy to slip into this, this thing we do. In fact, I bet there are people, if you come to church long enough, there are people that you think, they got it together. Mm-hmm, they got it together. She got it together. She got it together. He got it together. He got it together. I know it. I can feel it. And then, see, I know, I know people's business. <laughs> so I sit down with people and like, I know such and such got it together. I'm like, no, they, they don't. They, they, they don't, they don't, because none of us do. And here's the thing, I don't have it together. I don't have it together. Now, there are certain standards I live by. If you see me with another woman, don't just pass it by. Like, he's just a sinner. That's, that's how you get in. That's, it don't disqualify you. <laughs> no, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying, okay. What I'm saying is it's sad when a church can't talk about sin. And you will live in your sickness with a doctor looking at you, waiting on you. How scary would it be if we can't create a context of that? All right, and so being a sinner doesn't disqualify you. It's your prerequisite to relationship. The second thing is that um, Jesus... Always and continues to invite us in spite of our rejection of him. Like this is the Jesus that was on a cross. And while people were not going to church, not reading their Bible, while people were killing him, murdering him, people were killing Jesus. And he looked at them and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They were killing him, and he was forgiving them. They were killing this man, and he was still forgiving them. And the reason why we have a hard time imagining that is because we operate in relationship with Jesus like we do with our parents or other friends, where there are people that if I reject them, they don't still pursue me. <laughs> you, know, they're, they're, you know, you think about it. You, know, you say, hey, let's, you know, two o'clock Tuesday, you and I will meet, right? Two o'clock on Tuesday comes, I don't show up. You see me on Wednesday, I don't even mention it. I don't even say sorry. I can feel the shade just enter into the room, just the anger enter the room. And you know what you do? A lot of times we just fake and go, you know what? I know. I got you. I got you. Forget you. And we move away from people because when we feel rejected by people, we tend to reject people. And it blows our mind that when he is rejected by us, he still invites us. Romans 2 and 4 says, or do you not know? Maybe you don't know. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing? Maybe you don't know that the God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Amen. It's his kindness. It's not his rules and his regulations. That he's so kind. and He cares for you so much. And he wants you. He wants to be in relationship with you. And he is not intimidated by your sin. He is not shocked by how sinful you are. And you shock yourself, but you don't shock the Lord. You are tired of yourself, but the Lord is not tired of you. Isn't that deep? You're like, I'm 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 tired of this. I'm tired of doing this. I keep doing this. I'm tired of me. I'm tired. I'm I'm sick and tired. Sick and tired. I'm sick. I'm tired. Sick and tired. And you think God is sick and tired of you. And you've projected your, your, your lack of, you've projected, projected your low self-esteem onto God, thinking that he thinks about you like you think about you. Not knowing, not knowing that there is, no now, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It, meaning, meaning, he will not condemn you no matter what you do. And so you think, you know, are there any standards? Of course, the standard is following. Because when you're around someone so holy, someone so majestic, you'll change. I have this confidence. When I have committed my deepest, darkest sin, I can still come to him and say, I know you love me. I know you still care for me. I know it's hard for me. Lord, it's hard for me to accept this right now, but I was saved by your grace, not by, by my performance. My performance is horrible right now, but your grace is extended to me. You know, the, the Bible says that God loved us before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. The world. We, we, you know, we're pregnant. And we got a sonogram. We got this little sonogram. And the baby looks like a ghost. Seriously. All we see is skeleton. I don't know who the baby looked like. I don't know if it looked like me, Tarsha. I don't know what the baby looked like. It's all just blurry. Why do we have that picture up on the wall at our house? And we're like, that's my baby. Oh, my God. I love you so much. And this child has done nothing right or wrong. I have not loved that baby out of her performance. They are blessed by my grace and acceptance. You know why I love her? Because she's mine. That's my baby. She's been made in my image. I love that child. And no matter how much she, we're getting a sonogram on Thursday, so it could be he, praise the Lord, just (laughs) intercede, saints, intercede, saints, intercede. I keep saying she just to not have a letdown in my life. (laughs) I don't know what I was saying. But God loves you. (laughs) Agape love is the kind of love that is 100% when you're at 0%. God is not like, this is a 50-50 thing, y'all. You come to church, I got you, I love you. You've been reading your Bible, I love you so much. You tithing? Oh, my God. We meant to be together. No, God does not work that way. When you have been running from him, he still says, I love you. He is one poet called him... The hound of heaven that hunts people down. He loves us like that. His love is like that. His love is like that. And, and then there, you know, and then there's people in here like, "But you better talk about holiness. You better talk about do living right." And I, 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 I bank on his presence. I bank on if you follow. Jesus, you will change over time. You cannot encounter the living God and be the same. You just can't. You can't. I, I, I shoot, uh, my boy one day walked into a restaurant, and Yao Ming was in there. Yao Ming is like seven foot four, or six, or twelve, whatever. You know what I'm saying? I don't know how tall he is. Don't Google it. But he's really tall, and he walked in, and I remember he said, I, "James, I had never seen a dude that big," and I just stood there in awe of him. He was just so huge. And he was like, I can't, like, and he's a pretty tall guy. He's like, I can't think I'm tall anymore. (laughs) Like, that's tall. And when you're in front of the holy and living God, one, you don't think you're that righteous anymore because you see the holiness of God. But then when you see the beauty of his pursuit in the scriptures, how he's the kind of God that told a prophet to go marry a prostitute to show the people how much I love them, you can't be the same. You can't be the same. So that's why I don't don't count how much people come into church. I don't don't need to do that. I bank on his presence in your life. You will change and you'll transform. Lastly, um, we have to remember that Jesus is in the business of turning irreligious people into Christ-centered laborers. We just have to remember that. You've already written Nicki Minaj's story. But what if... What if God has a different story for her? God is in the business of rewriting stories. He, re, he re, rewrote my story. There are people now, like, I accept their friend requests on Facebook, and they're like, you're a pastor. <laughs> oh, wow. I, yo, wow. Cause, cause, because I was like Matthew. I had a reputation for sin, and he rewrote my story. And I could have never seen myself up here telling people about Jesus. I would have never, reading, I wasn't big into reading. I didn't even think I would read a lot because I used to cheat in school all the time. I did. That's what I was known for. And he rewrote my story. My job is to read the Bible. He rewrote my story. He rewrites stories. And you're surrounded by people. He wants to rewrite their story. There is an identity theft happening every day. And he, God, our God, wants to give people back to the identity that he has planned for them. Ephesians 2.10 is still true. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has prepared for beforehand so that we might walk in them. That's why we had you, some of you were in your city groups. And you did your gift tests. The reason why we have you do your gift test, not just because we want you to serve in the church, we want you to be very clear on what God has called you to do, what He shaped you to do. And when you start getting into what God's calling and purpose is for your life, how you're destined to be a certain way, you begin to mourn for those. Even when the world is celebrating people, we mourn. Maybe we can get to the place where You can look at a Nicki Minaj and say, you know, God's not done with her yet. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what God may do. But you start seeing people through God's eyes. We've been rating ourselves with these kind of goals throughout this series, Squad Goals. One to ten, how are you inviting people into a relationship with God? Well, you can put yourself one to three if people don't know you're a Christian. If you're, if people, now if you're, if you're not a Christian, then that's not an issue. But if you are a Christian and no one knows, then it's like you're sitting at the table while other people starve. And you could put yourself between a five and a seven, I guess, or four and seven if you invite people to church. But, man, you are like an eight and above if you are not just inviting people to church, but you're inviting them into your life. You're inviting them into the victories and the struggles. And you you know what will blow people's mind? Not when they see you walking in righteousness. A lot of times people are blown away when they see you walking in forgiveness. When they see it's not... Like when they start seeing you repent of things, when they start hearing you say "I'm sorry," that's when that's when the depth, the Holy Spirit starts to speak to people, and people just begin to watch you. I was in a coffee shop the other day, and I got a ticket outside. I I don't know how I just get ticket much. The 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 ticket people are attracted to me. I got this ticket, and I walked outside. And you know, we've been in New York City so long, we can't just get scared about money. It's a city. You just can't. And so it was a $45 ticket. My wife was like, what are we going to do? I said, we're just going to trust the Lord. And so I was sitting there in the coffee shop. And the guy came up to me. He says, like, like I was a unicorn. He was like, are you a Christian? I was like, I, I am. He was like, yo, I saw the way you responded to that ticket. And I was like, yeah, I just, just got to trust the Lord. He was like, man, I want to be able to trust God like that. I remember thinking, I wasn't even doing anything. <laughs> I was just happy. <laughs> God has saved you to use you and use you in such a way where you invite people into relationship. It's not enough that the world knows you're a great person, God wants people to know Him through you. God wants people to know him through you. And who could have known Matthew? Remember that guy, Matthew, we were talking about, the bad guy? You know what this book is called? Matthew. Who could have ever thought all those people that talked about Matthew, all those people that were mad that Matthew had raised those taxes, the person that was known as being the most unrighteous in the town. Who could have ever thought that Matthew one day would write a bestseller? That his words, that when we say seek first the kingdom, when we say go and make disciples, Matthew wrote that. That guy. Did it start with him saying, you know what, God, I'm going I'm to write a book for you, Jesus? I'm going to do it. He just. He just followed. He just started following. And it began with just taking that first step. And some of you, because of your failure, you were following, and you're just kind of jogging. Like you're kind of just meandering now. You're not running after him anymore. And it's not because of Jesus. It's because of you. It's because you feel you failed too much. And others really just are moving in another direction. You're moving away from him. He's inviting you. And he is going to do something through you that you can't even imagine. You can't even imagine God's plan for your life. But you must follow. You must accept his invitation. And then invite others. Invite others into this great relationship. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, even now, even now, even now, Even right now, God, speak to that weight of sin we feel. Even now, Jesus, speak to that secret sin. Even now, Jesus, speak to my fear to be honest. Even now, speak to my fear of not being able to tell people that I'm even a Christian because so many things I've done. I'm such a failure. I'm so fake. God, let us hear your voice saying, where are you? Let us feel your presence again. Let us feel the pursuit of the Holy Spirit in our life. And then let us live again. Let us follow again. Because in this room, there are people who feel that they have got the identity of a Nikki, Who they've got a story that no one knows. God, I pray that we always make room for the Nikki's and the Matthews. Because we don't know what God can do. Even now, Jesus, let us accept the invitation, the open invitation that you are giving. In Jesus' name we pray.
2: Amen. Pray with me. Lord, the statement that religion says that you will change, change and then you can come to us. Lord, I rebuke that statement that if it's been heard in this church or felt by this church. People have walked in here and if they have felt that, Lord, Lord, I pray that today that lie was removed and that people can see that the gospel says, follow me and then you will change. Lord, because transformation isn't about trying harder. It's about having a life, life life-altering experience with Jesus himself. Lord, we need lives transformed, not behaviors modified. Lord, for those who came and received prayer today, that they that their story might be rewritten. Lord, I pray that as they leave this building, Lord, that the power of the Holy Spirit will fall upon them. And that when the the trials and and the waves come on Monday and Tuesday, Lord, that they can stand firm, stand firm in your truth that you will never leave them nor forsake them. Lord, I pray that today people moved along the faith continuum from a one to a two or from a four to a five or to a seven to an eight. Lord, and as our lives are changed, Give us the boldness so that others can see that change, so that they might want to experience the same change. Lord, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat.